0: Hey, it's Christopher Ewing. Join me and other stroke survivors from across the country and around the world during the second annual Life After Stroke support group cruise, October 28th to November 1st, 2024, aboard Royal Caribbean's beautiful Navigator of the Seas cruise ship. The ship leaves round trip from Los Angeles, California, making port stops to Catalina Island and Ensenada, Mexico. Stroke survivors, as well as their caregivers, family, and friends, are invited to join us as we just take some time to put aside the thoughts of stroke and just enjoy life again. So join us October 28th to November 1st aboard World Caribbean's beautiful Navigator of the Seas, leaving round trip from Los Angeles and making port stops in Catalina and Ensenada, Mexico. For more information, just go to www.thestrokechannel.tv. That's thestrokechannel.tv. And remember, there's still a beautiful life after stroke. The following is a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the personal opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Stroke.
1: Stroke. 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 It comes out of the blue, sometimes without warning.
2: But those who survive it should never lose hope. A stroke can be life-changing. But it is also a new beginning. Because for all survivors, there is still a beautiful life after stroke.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Today, we're coming to you from Home Base, which is Providence St. Joseph's Medical Center in Burbank, California. And we have a really special guest here with us today. Her name is Kathy Cole. She is the author of Kick-Ass Kind of Girl, a memoir of life, love, and caregiving. She's also the president and founder of the Kathy Cole Foundation. And uh, she's just written this incredible book and just really has just an incredible life. It's just, it, it's an amazing story, certainly mixed with a little bit of sadness because uh, her husband passed away following a stroke. And she's going to get into all that and tell us all about it. But uh, let's all welcome her to the show today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Oh, no. It's I a think you're amazing. Oh. I love what you're doing. Thank oh, well, you. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is I can see why you wrote a book you had to write a book because just your life has just been so amazing and and um, it's, it's an incredible story it's a sad story it's just all kinds of stuff that it's just really really interesting and I think it it certainly I'm sure has brought so much uh, help and insight to people who you know have had to deal with The post-stroke drama and tragedy of things like that And uh, it's just amazing So, you know, for everybody listening Just kind of take us back Tell us, um, are you a native Californian? Are you a California girl?
1: Yes, I was born and raised in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. Um, And I now live in Newport Beach And every summer growing up All I did was dream all year long That I could go to Balboa Island For two weeks in the summer (laughs) And I'm very lucky to live in Newport now and I have three children and nine grandchildren.
0: Wow, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And there was some horseback riding that you did back in the day and just talking, you know, we've got to go there because I'm a horse person, so you got to tell that story a little bit. <laughs> I know. I,
1: I uh, looked you up last oh, okay. night and I saw you on the horse oh, and yeah. I never looked like that on a horse.
0: Oh, no. <laughs>
3: um,
1: but yes, well. I grew up with horses mm-hmm. and I grew up in Sullivan Canyon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was fantastic living in Los Angeles and being one of the only kids I knew with, on a street with horses mm-hmm. and there was a man that was the trainer that uh, used to train Lipizzans, mm-hmm. or he rode the Lipizzans in I think it's Austria does right. that sound right yes. mm-hmm. and so he came to California and uh, that was what he, he was my trainer and he was also the trainer for Elizabeth Taylor in the movie um, oh, in
0: National Velvet National Velvet oh, how cool
1: so uh, I was like six years old and he was older uh-huh. but all the kids in the neighborhood he was our trainer Aegon oh, cool. Mertz
0: there you go it
1: does ring a bell but wow I help yeah. cool. How cool is that? You're too young.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad I'm too young for something. Okay, <laughs> so, there you go. There you go. That's all right. So that's it was all right. fun.
1: I jumped... Yeah. And uh, basically, it was getting on the horse with the neighbors, mm-hmm. and going back in the Santa Monica Mountains, and right. going over the hills, and then we would have a picnic, and we'd leave our coke cans in the stream mm-hmm. to get cold, and then come back oh, and get that's our coke. Cool. Oh, there
0: you go. Wow, yeah. that's smart. Yeah, I oh. don't think
1: kids do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. I was lucky. Yeah. How yeah. cool was
0: that? Wow, yeah. very neat, very neat. Y- you know, I was looking at your website, uh, you know, looking you up as well, and there were just some just really, really neat pictures. Just just great memories and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how early on, you kind of had to learn how to be a caregiver, really, as a girl, as a, as a child in your family. Um, talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, it's one of those things, I think, when any anything happens to any of us, you always think it's going to happen to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a child in like first or second grade, and there was a girl in my class whose mother had passed away. And I just thought, that is so sad and that's so weird and that doesn't happen to people and that wouldn't happen to me. And when I was about 16, my mother got cancer.
3: Hmm.
1: And uh, so then I became a a caregiver. I helped her and she passed away just about when I turned 19. Mm -hmm. And I did write some of the things in the book as a teenager. You know, it's one of the things that really bothered me as I was growing up. I would look back and I would think of how I would have done things differently. Like one particular day, I was so embarrassed at a restaurant because she became ill. And it was something that haunted me forever Hmm. until I read a book about uh, young people with parents with cancer. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't alone. And I realized, no, you know what, my mother understood. She looked at me like, she's a kid, she doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. It made me feel a lot better. But anyway, so I spent time with my mom. Then, um, When I was in my mid-twenties, my father got cancer, Mm. and uh, he had lung cancer, um, and he passed away, and so I used to take care of him, and then my brother got what is called aplastic anemia of the bone marrow,
3: Mm. Mm.
1: and um, he lived, he was an amazing man. He had five children, by the way, and he kept living his life, and so I was used to being at a young age around people that were ill.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, the book is just amazing. Um, you know, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to kind of turn the corner and, and talk about Don. Uh, okay. Y- your, your husband, who uh, had a stroke, and, um, and how life kind of changed from that moment. I mean, you guys were, you know, summering in Saint-Tropez and, <laughs> and things like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of put into the 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 job and the occupation of caregiver and and uh we have people listening all around the world that i'm sure can identify with that responsibility uh that they find themselves in so um i'm sure this is really going to be great information for all of them so sit tight and we'll be right back
2: i used to think going to the dentist was going to hurt but now i go to dr Cades. dr is not just a dentist he's a pediatric dentist that means he specializes in us kids It's fun. Dr. Kate's been a dentist for a really long time. That means he's really good. And his office is awesome. He even has a really cool game room. And sitting there while the dentist works on your teeth might seem boring. We're not at Dr. Kate's. You get to wear these really cool glasses and watch cartoons while he works on your teeth. Plus, when you're done, you even get to go to Dr. Kate's Toy Stop and pick out a brand new toy. I like that. Hi, I'm Dr. Cade Hunsiger, and your child's dental care is our passion. When your child has a dental need, give us a call at 402-330-1131 or visit us online at drcade.com.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing, and today our guest is Kathy Cole. She's the author of Kick-Ass Kind of Girl, a memoir of life, love, and caregiving. And um, during the commercial break, you were talking about uh, your dad, right? and um, he was an alcoholic and I guess that kind of set the stage for you to have to be somewhat of a caregiver you know certainly um, as a young young woman but you also mentioned that uh, he was just an awesome guy too Um, talk a little bit about that
1: well it's something I wanted to share because uh, in writing the book the book turned out to be a I didn't know in the beginning what the book was going to be I spent four years on it and it did become a memoir of my life as a caregiver and in that, there were so many things that happened to me growing up as far as, as we just mentioned, my parents being ill. But one of the things that was very challenging was having a father that was an alcoholic. Now, in writing the book, I did talk about those difficult times in my life. If I had the book to do all over again, I would write more about the positive parts of my father because those the part of him being an alcoholic I always knew he couldn't help it. He, he was a binge drinker. It's not mm-hmm. that it went on every day. It would be like four times a year, and it was horrible when it happened. Um, but he was a nice, nice drunk, mm-hmm. you might say. Mm-hmm. And I always looked up to my dad, and I always wanted to marry someone like my father. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a wonderful, wonderful person, and I miss him to this day. So mm-hmm. I want everyone to know that.
0: Sure, sure. How tough was it to be a caregiver... At such a young age uh, To kind of have that responsibility
1: Um, It was hard And it was very hard When my husband became uh, Not my husband When my father became ill Mm -hmm. I had three children No, I had two children two children at the time. And I moved to Missouri for a while when my first husband and I were married and my father had cancer and he was alone. One of my brothers would go and help him. But I would fly out from Missouri with the children and go to his apartment and he had throat cancer and lung cancer. So I would uh, put all the food in a blender and um, help him eat and just stay with him with the children Mm that the kids in the playpen and uh we'd go for long drives together and he'd show me all the places he grew up Mm -hmm. uh but emotionally it was very difficult because then i would pick up the children and go back to missouri and the whole time i was there i'd feel guilty and worry about my Mm -hmm. father so it was like a yo-yo like a ping pong match Mm -hmm. back and forth Mm -hmm. back and forth so um it was hard, very mm. emotionally. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I almost had a nervous breakdown mm. during that period of time. It was very hard. Mm.
0: So. Um, you met your second husband, Don. Mm-hmm. When did you meet him?
1: I met him for the first time. I couldn't tell you what year it was. It was probably early 90s. Mm-hmm he didn't remember meeting me i was just (laughs) i just was introduced to him Mm -hmm. then i knew him because he lived in the same we lived in the same area Mm -hmm. in newport beach so i knew him and uh, then i was divorced and he called me and asked me out Hmm. and um kind of it was history after that because i thought oh this is going to be really strange going out with a friend (laughs) and anyways little by little it Just was very, very nice, and he was wonderful, and I was so fortunate.
0: Sure, he sounds like he was an awesome man. And how Mm -hmm. long were you married for?
1: We were married 13, 14 years. Wow. The first half, it was, we lived, I think, 40 years in seven years. Wow. Uh, I remember right before his stroke thinking, I think we need to slow down, because Mm -hmm. he was the type that would say... um, One day, it was really funny, we got an invitation, this is back before people were emailing and Mm -hmm. sending things overnight, so I'm looking at an, an invitation and he walks into the kitchen and he says, what's that? And I said, oh, our friends Alain and Judith that live in France are getting married on Saturday. And he goes, well, what are we doing on Saturday? I said, Don, today is Tuesday. (laughs) They're getting married in France on Saturday. Well, let's go. He goes, we have all these miles. It's even going to be free. Oh, gosh. And I said, we can't. And he goes, why? And I said, because we would be too tired. Hmm. He goes, tired? You'll be sitting on a plane all day. You're not digging ditches. (laughs) And I thought, well, what the heck? So we packed. We went. We went for two nights and... He used to always say, "It's the things in life you don't do that you most regret,"
3: mm, and he's true. right.
1: Because another time, he talked me into going to Malaysia for the weekend. Wow! And it was two nights, and it was fantastic.
0: Now, did I read that your first date was to the White House? Yes. <laughs> How cool is that? Tell that story.
1: Okay, so that was great. He he told me he was waiting for a time to ask me out that I wouldn't reject him. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I said well, I wouldn't have rejected you," and he said, um, "Guys feel rejected." See, we girls don't think guys ever feel rejected. We think you're in charge and you get to ask us. At least old-fashioned me thinks that. So anyway, he called and he asked me um, if I'd like... What was I I doing for my birthday? And I said nothing because I'd already celebrated it. And he said, well, then would you like to go to the White House with me? And at first I'm thinking there's a restaurant in Laguna Beach (laughs) called the White White House. House. (laughs) And I didn't want to say, well, which White House? Because I didn't want him to think I was going just for the White House. And actually, that's when... I talked to my son, and he said, "Mom, you gotta go. You might not ever get to go again." Sure. So that was the How first cool date. It was really funny.
0: Wow! Very, very cool.
1: Actually, could I read something to you? Sure. Is that crazy? Sure. No. No. Actually, I just thought of this because um, it's in my book. Yeah, okay. Chapter four: The Day My World Stood Still, October twenty seventh, two thousand and five. The day that changed everything. The peak of the mountain. Or was it the bottom of the sea? I had two lives with Don, and this day was the dividing line. Every moment of that day is etched into my memory, starting with waking up in Don's arms. Hmm. It was like yesterday. Wow. And like I said a second ago, you never know what's going to happen to you. It's the sort of thing you hear happens to other people. Other people, people, sure. And never would have thought our life would have changed so dramatically that day. Sure,
3: sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, from going to the White House for your first date and summers in Saint-Tropez and everything else in between, Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. Tell me about that day. How did you hear that he had had a stroke? Were you there? Well, what what?
1: happened? um, We were at the house and Mm -hmm. had breakfast, and we were remodeling part of the house, and uh, he said... Actually, he cooked. Brec- we cooked breakfast together, and he said, you know, Kathy, why don't you go talk to the contractor? I want to finish reading the paper, and I'll do the dishes. I was thinking to myself, he just wanted to get me out of that house, out of the kitchen so he could have some peace and read the paper. <laughs> so anyway, um, I said to him, well, can you just say yes? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, can we get new doorknobs? It was like a silly question that I thought, can we do something like this? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. Let me think about it. So I went and talked to the contractor, and then he walked in. It was the first time he had met some of the guys on the job. And he shook hands with everyone, and he looked at me, and he said, yes. And the guys all said, what does that mean? And he gave me a big smile, and he says, you know what I mean. Hmm. So he left, and I looked at the guys, and I said, we get new doorknobs. <laughs> and so... um he went to his office, and then I was driving to Los Angeles. We lived in Newport Beach, um, and I was driving to Los Angeles because we were going to have dinner with friends that evening. And about 4 o'clock, he called me, and he said, Kathy, canceled the dinner. It was actually with Jerry Weintraub, if mm-hmm. you remember mm-hmm. that name. Mm-hmm. And um, they had known each other years ago, and it was sort of the beginning of rekindling a friendship. Mm-hmm. So I thought... It was really strange that Don would cancel something. And I said, well, what's wrong? And he says, I just feel kind of punk, is how he said it. Mm. That, that would be an expression he would use. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, in what way? And he said, well, part of my face is numb. Part of my arm is numb. And the people at the office just told me, I'm uh, walking, I'm slurring my words, and I'm mm. walking um, uneven. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately said, do you think you're having a stroke? because both of his uh, father and sister died in their 50s Mm -hmm, of a stroke and he was always worried about it Mm -hmm. and so he said i don't know but i'm going to the hospital right now and so i met him at the hospital and by then he had had the cat scan and all and he had a blood clot Mm. and uh, they did surgery yeah so
0: now two things number one was his stroke similar to the one that his mom and dad had had i mean because i know that you had mentioned to me before that this was something that he was always kind of concerned about because of the history of, of stroke in his family right um was it a, did the doctor say it was the same kind of stroke or was it different
1: you know that's an interesting question because i never asked mm-hmm. i just know that because uh, they had they i never met them they had mm-hmm. passed away mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. um They all had high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if they had the bleed or the clot. But my husband, because of his high blood pressure, and he had AFib, Mm -hmm. uh, and every morning he was feeling his wrist, and he was Mm -hmm. taking the medicine, he was doing everything he could, and he probably his life was extended by 20 years because of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, he he had a blood clot.
0: I just know that many times when we've had doctors on the show, you know, some of the things they say more times than not is that you know stroke can be, if there's a family history of stroke, right. you know, you're kind of more prone. So that's why I was just kind of wondering if his was similar. I'm to guessing it was. Uh, uh, the to other tell you thing the truth. that you know really, and this is just just really terrible, is the fact that the stroke that he had, you had mentioned that something kind of broke off and went t- and hit his brain stem, and mm-hmm. that's what caused the paralysis. He ended up being paralyzed from the. Should down, neck down. From Shoulders the neck down. down, neck down. The neck down. Yeah. So what
1: happened is uh, the blood clot was quite difficult. It was hard, and mm-hmm. it had a softer tissue around it. And in the surgery, um, part of, and it was very close to his brain stem. Mm-hmm. It was a very uh, delicate, serious operation. Mm-hmm. And um, they gave him the TPA and mm-hmm. all of that to break it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he just had bum luck and yeah. a little bit went through his uh, bloodstream and hit his brainstem on the way out and I yeah. remember at first the doctors uh, we looked at his scan and they said there's no more clot you know this is amazing everything's great mm-hmm. but then he woke up locked in all he mm. could do was blink his eyes. Mm. And I will say it was the first time I ever saw fear in his mm. eyes because he was such a strong man. Yes, yeah, you had mentioned too. And yeah, he he just looked at me. And did I tell you what I said to him?
0: No, I don't remember. Tell okay, me. Okay,
1: so I had never been around anyone who had had a stroke. Mm-hmm. And even though I shared with you that I've been a caregiver, mm-hmm. I had no idea about this about disability Mm -hmm. i thought he'd be well in a few months so anyway um i'm looking at him and all he can do is blink his eyes he couldn't he could at that point couldn't uh turn his head or do anything so i said and the doctors told me he had less than 24 hours to live Mm -hmm. so i said okay don the way i look at it this is a sporting event i'm on your team all i need to know is if you want to win the game or not. So give me one blink for yes and two blinks for no. (laughs) And he gave me the biggest one blink you've ever seen in your entire life. He was like this and like this, and that's all he could do. And so I said, okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna have a life. And um, we went on for there. And I, I do want to share with everyone that the doctors asked him every three months if he wanted to live, Hmm. and meaning if he ever had anything that was life-threatening, if he was having a heart attack, if he was uh, anything, they wanted to know, and he'd always, at that point, he could mouth, he'd always mouth, yes, or he'd say absolutely, Hmm. Uh, so he he had an incredible will to live, I don't know where it came from.
0: You said that he had a will to fight into just just trudge on yes did not matter that is so awesome following the stroke to what degree was he locked in did he continue to only be able to blink or could he kind of communicate and you you said that he began to be able to mouth things but yes uh, did he Um, show much more recovery beyond that because he went on to live another six and a half years i think you mentioned
1: well, you know, in the very beginning of the first 18 hours, mm-hmm. you're just looking at his toes, mm-hmm. hoping he can move a toe, sure. and he never could. Uh, at one point, he had a reflex where he could actually kick one leg, mm-hmm. and we'd get a a beach ball, mm-hmm. and he could kind of kick that ball, mm-hmm. but he lost that. But uh, the only thing he could really do, because he couldn't sit by himself, uh, we'd get him in the chair with a lift, and he had the, the neck brace and everything, and... Um, but he did regain uh, movement of his face, okay. so he had his beautiful smile, hmm. and um, then he he had a speech therapist and kept working on his mm-hmm. pronouncing words, pronouncing words. But so I had to read his lips,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and. Um, you and I were talking about Botox and all these things and he would get Botox because he would get locked jaw or whatever it's called his Mm -hmm. jaws would get locked and it's so uh, serious it's so dangerous because if he had to be intubated he he was on a respirator Mm -hmm. by the way Mm -hmm. but if they had to go down his throat at one point his jaw got so locked they wouldn't they would have couldn't have gotten in there Mm. so the Botox helped him and I used Mm -hmm. to tease him I go wait a second what's going on here you're looking too good Mm -hmm. did you ask them for Botox in a few other places so I used to always like to tease him and make him laugh you know but it was also very difficult very sad and for anyone listening to this story um, I don't want anyone to think that life was so perfect and that I could figure it out because it wasn't and there was a lot of unhappiness, Uh, he would become very depressed. I shared in my book about becoming very depressed. I didn't tell anyone, but I Mm -hmm. got really depressed.
0: You know, and that's, you know, you can only imagine that a caregiver who did not sign up for that job going in, I mean, they signed up as husband, wife, uh, you know, even son, daughter, whatever else. I mean, you know, stroke comes and, you know, I kind of equate it kind of like a tornado that kind of, you know, hits the town. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've said this before that it's like this tornado that blows into town and, you know, it might, you know, hit one house, Mm -hmm. tear it completely apart. Another one, it might only cause a tree to fall in the garage. You know, another one might be totally missed. Um, And just so when it comes knocking, it comes knocking to whatever degree it comes knocking. and, Mm -hmm. And not only does the stroke survivor have a stroke but it's like the whole family experiences stroke I mean the whole family has a stroke to some degree you know exactly and I can only imagine that the caregiver goes through virtually as much of the stroke as we survivors do in that you know you kind of lose a little bit of you know your husband wife son daughter you know I'm sure my mom struggles seeing me you know having gone through what I've gone Mm -hmm. through talk a little bit about how you kind of dealt with that because I mean again you know one minute you're at the White House you're in Saint-Tropez and the next minute you know you're looking at your husband like okay what in the world just happened here
1: well I would say for me it hit me a little bit later because in the beginning you're so busy you don't know what's going on and you don't know whether he's going to survive and how I'm going to do this Mm -hmm. and all that I also put myself in the same position I put him in when I said, I'm on your team. So for me, making everything a sporting event kind of helped.
3: Mm -hmm, It was a challenge. Mm -hmm. I love
1: challenges. I love goals. Um, The other thing that was interesting, after going through having lost my parents and going through them being ill, every person is different. Some Mm -hmm. people don't want to hear that they're not going to get better. And back when my mother was ill, actually, you didn't tell the patient. You'd always be saying, oh, you're going to get better. You know, mm-hmm. the chemo's working, when actually it wasn't, and we all knew mm-hmm. it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So with my husband, I still kind of had that mindset. So the doctor would come over, and he'd say, Kathy, he's never getting off the uh, respirator. respirator. And I mm-hmm. would follow him out to the car, and I'd say, have you ever read the book, uh, of the Guinness Book of World mm-hmm. Records? Mm-hmm. I know he's going to be in it. He will be the one off mm-hmm. the respirator. So... For 18 months, that's how it was. Then there was a time when everything changed. And what changed for me was the day uh, the doctor came over. We're sitting in the living room, and it's very serious. Um, and I could it was serious because I could tell my husband wasn't smiling, and he had something really on his mind. And he looked at the doctor, and he asked him three questions. And he said, will I ever... Uh, walk again
0: how did he ask this
1: because we could read his lips by then which was very difficult and Mm -hmm. when he we couldn't I had a spelling board and I'd go over all the letters and he would blink yes or no and we'd spell words out I wrote Mm -hmm. them on a grease board and then I could figure out what subject we were on so so he always got whatever he wanted out he got out (laughs) and so the doctor said to him I know it's hard (laughs) sorry Uh, I love it, the fact that you have such compassion. It's fantastic because I think all of your viewers out here really understand how you feel, how I feel, how everyone feels because they're the ones that this helps them because they understand how we feel. But it was a very hard day. Like I say, it was 18 months later, and the doctor uh, sitting there, um, my husband said, will I ever walk again and the doctor looked him straight in the eye and said no and then he said will I ever talk again no will I ever breathe again and the doctor said no and then my rock of Gibraltar my strongest man in the world looked at the doctor and mouthed, then why should I live and he asked to be taken back to the bedroom The doctor got tears in his eyes. I never saw him cry before. uh, Of course, I broke down crying, and I said to the doctor, I don't think he'll be alive by tomorrow because the doctor always said Dong would go when he wanted to go. I've seen it happen over and over again. Well, the next morning, I think you could hear him just by his mouthing words all the way to Century City. He was yelling at everyone, get the therapist. I want two therapists. I want two... He was... He knew the truth now, and he used to always say, you can't worry about things you can't change. Mm. And I think he laid awake all night long. And by the way, I used to sleep with him. I had hospital beds next to each other, Mm -hmm. and I had my arm around him. And he thought, I could tell, he thought about whatever. He was looking up at the ceiling, thinking about it. And when he acted like that, I thought, by golly, we're going to have a new normal. And I thought, what are the things that we always like to do? Well, number one, he liked to work. So I made sure his partners were at the house all the time. I would read, um, <laughs> I would read documents to him every day, and I'd say, Okay, Don, uh, should I read that again? And he'd mouth, No. I'd say, You got it? Yes. And I'd go, Oh, my God, I didn't get it. I have to read it again in the next room. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, You know what? He really liked to dance. So mm-hmm. I got my friends to come over, and it was like being in a seventh-grade junior high school party. When we all used to <laughs> dance together, everyone was in my living room dancing, and I would spin him in the wheelchair. <laughs> and um, I got him to the movies, and the movies were funny because we'd go to matinees, and we got the best seat in the house because we got the handicapped seats, <laughs> except he was on a respirator. So one day, uh, there was a lady behind us, and I could tell he, she was really perturbed. She was upset because I had my granddaughter sitting next to me in the handicapped seat. So I just looked at her, and I said, if you'd like this seat, it's perfectly fine. Actually, the nurse, we had a nurse with me. She was sitting in the row behind, next to the lady that was so upset. So I turned around, and I said, it's perfectly fine. You can sit with the three-year-old, and I will have the nurse sit next to me. So little Kathy (laughs) went over the seat, sat next to her, and then she was still perturbed because the machine was going but from the respirator she didn't say anything but you knew she was upset so I whispered in my husband's ear I said Don you are driving the lady crazy because of your respirator I mean the only solution is to unplug you but I can't do that I'll be in jail tomorrow (laughs) so he he got he, he just laughed and so you know we just talked about life like we always did I learned that be normal just live life a little differently find a different route
0: you know I have to say that as just, excuse my way of saying this, just as crappy as all of this is and was at the time and everything, I can't imagine him having a better caregiver and a better partner to have as all of that was happening, you know? I mean, certainly the stage was set for you early on, and I just really just can't imagine, you know, Anyway, well, thank you. You know, I mean, we're going to take a break and just kind of gather ourselves here. <laughs> um, at least I'm going to gather myself. When we come back, uh, I want to ask you about if you were ever angry. Just angry about the situation, okay. and and um, you know, and if you were, how you handled it? Because I'm sure there's a number of caregivers that are listening that may be going through all kinds of emotions as they find right. themselves in this situation. The other thing that uh, we'll discuss is something that I would not have brought up, but this is something that you said you wanted to bring up. So it's like, okay, <laughs> um, the subject of intimacy and okay. um, intimacy when you're in a situation where you know you have a spouse that. Uh, you know in this case a traumatic brain injury and and things like that so um everybody sit tight and uh we'll be right back hey it's christopher ewing at the indie music channel in hollywood and this is the jazz artist spotlight Award-winning saxophonist and vocalist Suzanne Grisana says that her love for music began at a very young age.
1: My parents are musicians, and so since I was a little girl, I always would see my father perform when he was doing performances around town. So that's sort of how I got into it.
0: And that early influence has made her one of the best new jazz artists on the music scene today. Recently winning Jazz Artist of the Year, the Indie Music Channel Awards held at the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles with her incredible song, Latin Nights. what people get from my music is the love of jazz and the appreciation for the arts because it's important to all of us to really listen and understand and have feelings about music and relate to each other through music. To hear more of Suzanne's awesome music just go to her website saxdiva.com With the Jazz Artist Spotlight I'm Christopher Ewing in Hollywood from the Indie Music Channel. Hey everybody, welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Mm -hmm. Ewing. Today our guest is Kathy Cole. She is the author of Kick-Ass Kind of Girl. Mm -hmm. It's just such an awesome book and there's just so much to all of this. It's just Mm -hmm. a great story and the question is, how did you deal with the frustration Mm -hmm. of seeing the love of your life in this condition and you being thrust into this new role of wife slash caregiver, which, you know, caregiver is a big title. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot that Mm -hmm. falls under Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, What were your emotions in the midst of all of this?
1: Well, first of all, it was baby steps. Mm -hmm. uh, And I did learn that from my husband before he had a stroke. When I would become overwhelmed with the day, he'd always say, Kathy, look at the big picture. Always know it's out there. But just do baby steps. Only look at three or four things and try and do those and then move on. So some of those lessons I learned from him, I brought into this. And so as far as um, how I got through it, I remember asking him one day, I said, "Uh, Don, how do you get through your day? Do you just sort of not think too much about the past, not think too much about the future, but just get up and do your day? And he looked at me and mouthed, absolutely. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, that works. That really works. Mm-hmm. The other thing, uh, talking about frustrations, um, in the very beginning, he wanted to take care of me all the time. And it was sort of, he'd mouth, go see your family, go see the friends. Well, I learned through experience and through talking to other people. After a while, the patient gets kind of uh, selfish because the world is around the patient. Mm -hmm. The world is not around the caregiver. The caregiver is doing all this work,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and people aren't looking at the caregiver. Um, And all of a sudden, my husband didn't want me leaving his side. And then every time I left, uh, my daughter, who's here today, she lived walking distance. If I walked to her house, he'd be counting the minutes for me to come back. He'd be Mm -hmm. upset if I got home five minutes late. So one day I was so upset, and I went in the other room and I sat there. Actually, it wasn't just one day. This happened many times, and I'm sure it's happened to many of your listeners. I sat there and I was really feeling sorry for myself, and I said, oh my gosh, how did this happen to me? I hate my life. This is horrible. Um, You know, I just want someone to kidnap me, just take me out of this. And after about 10 minutes, I started thinking, you know, he's such a great guy, and it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be like this.
3: Sure.
1: And I'd think about that a while, and then after about 45 minutes, I'd think, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I'd go back in the room, and he had been really upset with me, and I couldn't understand why.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I would sit down next to him and just look at him and say, Don, I love you. And then he would look at me and mouth, and I love you too. And it's like the argument was over with mm-hmm. or whatever he was upset about. So then I started thinking about it. He never changed. He was like that mm-hmm. before. He mm-hmm. was never the kind of guy that would sit down and say, well, now let's talk about why we're upset with one another. Mm-hmm. So I think for people that are going through it, that strongest thing is to realize who you are, what your personalities are Mm -hmm. like, and try and work with that, because you're not going to change, you know, so learn how to work with it.
0: Sure. How often would some of the moods of just being depressed, resentful, angry, whatever emotions that you would feel as you find yourself in this new role, would you feel that way for a day, a week, a month, an hour?
1: Okay, well it would be all of the above Mm. And I would say uh, I would be very happy As long as he was happy That made a huge difference When he was happy, I was happy And then all of a sudden it would change And it might be because of medication Mm -hmm. It might be um, One thing people didn't know at the time You will not believe this But he got cancer And he didn't want anyone to know So no one knew until it was on his death certificate Mm. And um, so he had to go through chemotherapy and the doctors had in the midst of it all. And the doctor sat down with him and he asked how long he would live. You didn't know this then, Jennifer. Did I tell you? Oh no, she didn't. Okay. So, um, he said, how long will I live if I'm not on chemo? And Mm -hmm. the doctor said probably four or five months and no one could give him the chemo. He was, it was a form of thalidomide and the nurses were all who were at the home. Um, were of childbearing age, oh, and so that they could is it. They, sure. they couldn't Maybe, do it. Yeah. So the doctor looked at me and said, "Well, you can do it." Mm-hmm. And so uh, he went through chemo about four times, and um, he it was another uh, measuring stick of how much he wanted to live. Yeah, sure. So anyway, it, he, it would give him mood swings, all sorts of things. Did so the minute he was upset, I would be upset, mm-hmm. and or he had. You know, all day long to think about something that I did that bugged him and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know what it was Mm -hmm. Uh, and then finally I'd say are you upset with me and he'd mouth yes and I'd Mm -hmm. go what did I do I went to sleep we watched TV I woke up Mm -hmm. so things like that would happen and that would depress me
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, I'd say I can't believe I'm going through this that would be some of the times I'd go in the other room and Mm -hmm. sit there but the other thing one of the really important things I learned that I didn't do uh, what I would have done if I could do it all over again, was to have me on the calendar. Because every day Don was on Mm. the calendar, what time he had his therapy, what time his uh, business partner was coming over. Mm -hmm. And if I had been on the calendar every day that said three o'clock, Kathy's going outside, it's my time, whatever Mm -hmm. I wanted to do, it would be routine and he wouldn't have been upset with me. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, back to your question, it could be we could go a week and everything was fantastic, and it could turn on a dime, and it would be depressing to me because I was so ups- I was so happy everything was going well, mm-hmm. and it was like starting all over again.
0: And I can only imagine that sometimes caregivers might feel. Um, Guilty for feeling resentful of, you know, why must my life be like this now? Um, Why do I have to deal with this? You know, I I mean, I can just imagine just all of the, the thoughts that just might, and then you're feeling guilty over the fact that you think that and because you're looking at this person that you love and it's like, well, like you said, you know, they didn't choose this, you know, and, Um, and then certainly, you know, for better or worse, I mean, can't get much worse. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, that's what you signed up for and this is what you took vows for and everything else. It's tough. Well, the
1: guilt, they say, is the number one thing that a caregiver has. Yeah. And uh, everything you do, you feel guilty about. You feel guilty that he's sick and you're not. Mm. You feel guilty when you go out the door and you have dinner with a friend and you're having a good time. And you're Mm. at the restaurant feeling guilty because you know he at home miserable. Mm-hmm. So you never stop feeling guilty.
0: Later on in the show, I was going to ask you to kind of give some caregivers some bullet points of things to think about and things like that. But, you know, while this is an important topic and we're right here at it, so let's just say this, you know, address that. What should, what can a caregiver do to not feel that? Because you, I can only imagine how many people listening that are caregivers that do feel that. Because like you said, it's a very right. common emotion that they'll feel.
1: How did you work through that? I never did. I always felt guilty. Mm. I don't know how you ever get beyond that. Mm. Um, One of the things I did, here I wrote a book, but I used to write little things. I'd write paragraphs, things, and I put these papers in my drawers. Um, I'll tell you another good tip a girlfriend gave me. Uh, People will say, Well, if you need any help, you know, I'm your good friend, uh, you know, call me. When you become depressed, when something terrible happens, all of a sudden, you sit there and you think, I have friends. I think I have friends. There were 20 of them said they'd help me. I can't even remember who they are now. So a friend said to me one day, write down all your friends' names. And cut them all, you know, in little pieces of paper and put them in a bowl. So the next time you feel like that, just pick a name out of the bowl. Hmm. And it was the best thing. And so I was particularly upset. And I, uh, the only privacy I had was going into my bathroom hmm. and... Um, I would put a towel under the door, turn the sink on, turn the bathtub on, flush the toilet, mm-hmm. go in my closet, it's put a towel the under there, and then I'd sit on the floor and cry. Mm. And so I one night, it was kind of late, and I picked a name out of the bowl. And anyway, I looked at the name, and I go, oh, okay, perfect. She has no idea what's about to happen to her. <laughs> so I call her up. I said, I am so sad. And she said, oh, I, I know. It's so hard. Oh, I've got to tell you, my daughter just got engaged. Oh. And she went on and on mm. and on. I couldn't wait to get off the phone. Mm. She exhausted me. <laughs> I went to bed. It was just perfect. So, I mean, that's a tip, just sure. putting it in the bowl, putting your name on the calendar. But I think another very, very important thing is getting some sort of rest mm-hmm. uh, I mean away from the situation mm-hmm. even if you go in the other room um, if you can get away for a few days not mm-hmm. everyone can for me I took one or two trips in the six and a half years that were over a week and it was worse because I came mm-hmm. home I got away and I I kind of felt like oh my gosh it's so, li- it's so wonderful I have a life again I just feel good even mm-hmm. though I worried about mm-hmm. my husband mm-hmm. all the time I couldn't wait to get home. I'd walk in the door and I'd run down the hall, run in the room, Mm -hmm. and it always hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, I cannot believe. I cannot believe him. I can't believe our situation. If I only went away for three days, I was still in my life. Mm -hmm. But I got a a break and I was refreshed when I Mm -hmm. came home.
3: Mm. Mm. But
1: even if you can, if someone can go for an hour or two hours sure. and just go and rest.
0: Just to make sure that you schedule some me time. Yes, Very ab- important.
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, the other topic you wanted to discuss, and, you know, when Jennifer was out of the room, I was like, well, maybe we should do it now. But. <laughs> <laughs> This is certainly not a topic that I would ever think to put on a list to ask a guest, but this is something, hey, it's, you know, this is your show, so uh, <laughs> um, you wanted to talk about intimacy. Okay. And um, you know, as a caregiver and dealing with a spouse that had a stroke and so forth, so, okay.
1: Okay, so like when I talked about the new normal, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, what's normal in life? And so... I always used to wonder how people in my situation, what they did, or did, did they still feel like that person loved them and vice versa? So mm-hmm. one of the things I did when Don was first ill, because I personally really think romance and letting someone know they're loved is the most still important just thing. just as important sharing. I mean, the mm-hmm. most important things are food, water, and love mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. And so when he was still in the hospital... Uh, every night when it would get dark, I would whisper in his ear a special little memory. And I'd say, Okay, Don, remember, blah, 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 you're not in the hospital, close your eyes and think about that memory. So, and I t- always told him, I'm going to think of the same memory too. So I go to sleep and we had that same memory. And trust me, some of those memories I can't share with you.
3: Mm. But <laughs> so then, <laughs> Jennifer's like, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they were good. <laughs> <And> so, so, <laughs> Jennifer's got hands over eight years.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so then um, I decided because of that, and it is life. That I wanted to write a little bit about it. Yeah. And it's nothing. It's a little embarrassing for me. And, and you know, I said some things embarrassing in the book. But that's what makes it real. Yeah, and it's sure. the only reason it'll help people. But I want to share kind of a fun little story. Okay. Don and I had this little uh, routine that would be almost every night. I love to take a bubble bath. And so he, he, late in the evening, would sit on the edge of the tub... And just talk to me, mm-hmm. and we talk about our day, whether mm-hmm. it was good or bad, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and I just miss that so much. So about three years into a stroke, uh, I said to the respiratory therapist, I really want to do this. Do you think there's any way that I can get my husband into the bathroom? Um and of course, none of you, you can't be in here, and so we ordered an extra long tube,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so it could go under the door. And I knew which uh, buttons to push and everything. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Okay, Don, are you, are you game for this? You're going to be not on the edge of the tub, but right next to the tub again. We're going to have our same ritual." And he he was always in. He said, "I'm in." So I want to read a little passage in the book. So now you know the background of what we did. So. Uh, (laughs) this is from the book okay the scene wasn't quite as it used to be but I had my husband all alone again in my private little sanctuary I talked and talked and talked he didn't take his eyes off of me as he eased my embarrassment with the charm of his schoolboy smile I don't think he cared what I was talking about he just seemed happy I had reinvented the sacred part of our relationship even in our own little world I was still unsure of letting Don see me, but I stood up, arms stretched out as bubbles slid down my side. My added little hip movement brought a big smile to the surprised look on Don's face. What do you think? I asked with all the guts I could muster. I could almost hear him purr as he mouthed, I love you. Do you think I've gained any weight? I stupidly asked. The slight hesitation before his answer was louder than an announcer at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> yes, he mouthed. How many pounds? What a dumb question, I immediately thought. Fifteen? <laughs> I mustn't have heard him right, so I repeated my question and put words in his mouth. Five? Five? With a silly little smile and a slight shake of his head, he mouthed, no, 15. Hmm. I pulled up my towel and with a wicked little laugh said, hey, you better think about what you say to me. I can unplug you at any time. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear him laughing hysterically with just the expression of his face. And what do you know? He was spot on. It was 15. (laughs) So anyway, and I I have another little romance story, but everyone's going to have to buy the book to read that one. There you go.
0: (laughs) I have to have a moment
1: for a moment. Okay. (laughs) I want to get up and hug you. (laughs)
3: Please
0: do or I'm going to I'm going to You know, I think I think what gets me is you know, I've seen the pictures of you two, you know, on your website. Are your pictures are pictures in your book? Yes. Okay. So everybody listening you'll be able to see the pictures too, or you can go to her website. I've seen the smiles. Mm -hmm. He seems like he was an amazing man. Mm -hmm. And all the journeys that you guys went on together and just everything else. And like I said earlier, I don't know if I said it during a commercial break or if I said it when we were rolling, but I can't imagine going through what he went through (laughs) and not having someone like you in his life at that moment to go through it Mm -hmm. with. Thank you. Because, I mean, talk about a crappy situation. (sighs) But, doggone, if you're going to go through it, you know, man, you are the right person to be (laughs) on his team. Now you're
1: going to have me crying. I'm just
0: saying, (laughs) I mean, I can only imagine the comfort that this man felt. And and I'm kind of speaking as a man here as a matter of fact let me go here with it and I don't know I might cut this out but I might That's not okay. I, I tend not to cut too I much mean, out when I I mean I think it's I, all life and it's things.
1: important it's important
0: you know okay I'm gonna go here I've always wanted to have kids mm-hmm. uh, I've never been married don't have any kids and when I had my stroke one of the first things I thought maybe not the first thing but maybe the second or third thing was Wow. Okay, so it's been hard enough to meet a cool girl.
3: Mm-hmm. How
0: hard is it going to be now?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I and another thing I remember is years ago a buddy of mine and I we used to talk about how you know it, you know you know guys talk you know it's hard to find a good woman blah 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 <laughs> and how important it is to find one who's really going to be there for you through thick and thin. You know, mm-hmm. if your scum bucket broke. And so fast forward, you know, number of months ago when I'm thinking, Man, you know, now I got a stroke. Gee, it was, you know, who's gonna want a guy with a stroke? You know, that kind of thing. But I think about Don mm-hmm. and he had the right woman.
1: Oh. <laughs> he had the you. right woman. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um you know I was just so lucky like I say we were a team and I don't know what it is why we were put together and it just worked in for better and for worse even in our physical therapy uh, his see our Mm -hmm. it was our stroke it was our physical therapy Mm -hmm. one of the things we used to do you know he couldn't have his arms up but the therapist would put his arms around me and his therapy was to try and pull in Mm -hmm. so i could feel him hugging me Mm -hmm. but it was depressing because if we let go his arms would drop Mm -hmm. so um one of the things i really want to tell patients is to just say i love you and thank you that's all i ever needed then i knew it was worth it Mm
3: -hmm. but
1: um Just the intimacy. I used to go to sleep at night, and I'd close my eyes and pretend he wasn't sick. And I'd wake up in the morning. Well, I'd get up every two hours to help turn him. But still, I would put myself into my own little dream worlds and then wake up. And we had that day with all sorts of things going on. So, you know, the mind is a very powerful tool, how Mm -hmm. you can... Try and talk yourself into things, so I tried more and more and more to try to talk myself into positive things right. um, but trust me it didn 't always happen i I want everyone to know it 's true. I got sad and depressed and but feeling loved on both sides is probably the most important thing. It right. gave me a will to keep going, and it gave him a will to keep going right and humor right got to say these funny things. And uh, like one day he said to me, he was he was upset again, he was sad. And I said, Don, if I stood on my head, would it make you happy? And he said, yes. And I go, well, you know, I can't stand on my head. So I went up against a chair and tried, almost broke my neck. Well, he thought that was so funny. <laughs> you know, I fell on the ground. And so it's like dumb little things, mm-hmm. stupid little things that it just helps. And it and it helps for the next few hours. Right. It might be a few hours of just... Happiness and laughing, and then it turns around again. Right. So.
0: Well, and the big turnaround came in uh, 2011. Right. And um, boy, that was not a good year for you. I mean, Don, your husband passed away, but three days before that, Don, your brother. Right. Out of the blue, passed away.
1: My I mean, brother, wasn't it
0: virtually out of the blue, wasn't it fluky or?
1: It was fluky. It, it was. He had health issues. He had diabetes. And because of the diabetes, he had neuropathy. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, He was my very best friend. Mm -hmm. And the three most important men in my life were my husband, uh, my father, and my brother. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a combination of those three made the perfect man. And so I had the three of them. Um, Anyway, my brother was very close to my children. And I think we all talked to him every day. Mm. And he was just talking to my daughter, not Jennifer, but my other daughter, Brooke, on the phone. Mm. And he went to sleep afterwards and he must have gotten up in the middle of the night and he tripped. And he hit the corner of his kitchen island. He had a little step in his kitchen that I used to trip on. And he um, tripped. And the next day my my son was having breakfast with him, and he didn't show up at the restaurant mm-hmm. and he went to the house, and he had had a brain bleed. Mm. and so he passed away. We were all at the hospital with our arms around him, whispering everything we ever wanted him to know in our in his ear.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: and he was trying to answer us, but he was on he was on a respirator um, And so he passed away and That really upset my husband. It's Mm -hmm. not that I wanted him to know. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But he knew. We lived together. And he he knew that something had happened. Mm -hmm. And then when he asked me um, for the next few days, dawn changed. So when the doctor said when he wanted to go, he would go, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand it at the time. I thought he was trying to take care of me. He didn't want to get dressed, he didn't want to see the doctor, he didn't Mm. want to do anything, all he wanted to do was look at me, he stared at me, every time he caught my eye, he would mouth, I love you, Mm. and then he had a a heart attack. So it was a
0: heart attack that basically is what he passed away from, not so so much of the stroke, or was it kind of the effects of the stroke?
1: It was the effects of the stroke. Mm -hmm. Six and a half years, not supposed to live. His body was just worn out. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to go to my brother's funeral, if you can believe. I was at the church trying to figure out how to get him in there.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, so for three days, we were doing things. And my children were at the house, and we were planning my brother's funeral. Anyway, this uh, all happened.
0: Do you think that Don, your brother's passing, gave Don, your husband... Any kind of I don't want to say comfort, but almost like permission in a sense that it was going to be okay if he were to pass on to I me. Mean, it just seems like it's so strangely ironic that we just within three days here they both pass away. You yeah, if anything like that, or was it just the, the the drama and the trauma of your brother passing? That did it have a, an effect, you know, to the degree on his heart as to why he passed away at that time? I mean, it's just a lot.
1: It's you know? a lot. I truly believe at the time at the time I thought he was taking care of me and I could tell he was very sad and Mm -hmm. I even asked him um, I said I don't know it was a stupid question because of course he was sad but he was sad and he had tears in his eyes and I used to call them uh, quiet tears Mm -hmm. to see someone cry that can't make any noise Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I would wipe his eyes and um, afterwards after he passed away I thought about it and I saw it in a different light. Mm-hmm. I realized, and I truly believe this, that he spent those few days thinking, just mm-hmm. thinking about his life, it's about really my life. Sure. I think he was giving mm-hmm. me a gift in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I the think letting he, go? he was letting go, mm-hmm. and he was saying, her brother just died. I am so much, it's a big job for her. I think she needs a life. And, like, when the doctors first said six years before that, he'll mm-hmm. go when he wants to go, mm-hmm. I think that's what happened.
3: Yeah, and I
0: guess that's what I was trying to figure out how to put into words. It's almost like, you know, your brother kind of gave him, not really permission, but told him, you know, it's okay. You know, like, you know, don't be afraid to go if you want to go, because I'm going, and, you know, I don't know. It's well, and also,
1: if you believe in heaven, if you believe in God, mm-hmm. you know, how whatever yeah, I'm, I'm people Jesus believe. Freak, so yeah. mm-hmm. Okay, so then... In my husband's mind, he might have thought, hey, you know, Don, they're both named Don. Yeah, right. Don, her brother, Man, he's, he's, he's there at the gates waiting yeah, for sure, me. exactly right. <laughs> he had right. a buddy that he was going to see soon. So right, right. I think all that was comforting to him. I think he was afraid to go before that, mm-hmm. and it gave him, I mean, I'm, it's only what I can imagine sure. knowing him so well, but I think it was the first time that he had that strength or he wasn't scared to go.
0: Yeah, because he wouldn't be alone, you right. know, maybe, you know. I mean, I just think that how long did they tell you originally he was going to live? How long did they tell him? 24, actually, 24 hours. 24 hours, and he lived six and a half years, for gosh sakes. And days. they
1: never said he... They said they, he, there's no way he could live living at our house. He'd be back at the yeah. hospital in a week, and he wouldn't make it. He would die at the house. Yeah, blah,
3: blah, blah. And yeah, we asked sure. the
1: doctors to talk to him and make sure he understood he could die at the house. And mm-hmm. he mouthed I don't care. I'd rather die at home. That's what he wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. You know, we made it work.
3: Wow. So. Wow. Uh, but it's
1: not all sad, you know. We had many, many good times. Oh, I want sure. everyone oh, I to know imagine. that That's. we made yes. it, uh, we laughed, we, you know, all of this. So yes. it was both. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd also say that it was a privilege for me in my life to be able to live with someone like him, to see someone that... Respected life so much That had such a drive, mm, drive to, to live, live. Yeah, sure. And yeah. in a lot of ways It was something It's an accomplishment for me We all feel good when when we're satisfied And when we um, uh, Succeed in something mm-hmm. And that's a great feeling
0: Right, right Well you certainly did a, a tremendous job As a caregiver No doubt about it I mean you kept joy and love And <laughs> just Just in the house, and you know, in spite of a really crappy situation, so yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. We're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about this outstanding foundation that you've put together okay. um, that is in support of caregivers and things like that. So, um, and then I'm sure we might have some questions here and stuff like that. So, um, everybody sit tight, we'll be right back. Okay. Hey this is Christopher Ewing with a life after stroke health tip. So if you're a stroke survivor with any kind of paralysis then you know how frustrating it can be to try to do some normal everyday tasks. Things that used to be so quick and easy now seem almost impossible to do using let's say our hand or our arm on our affected side. Now I say almost impossible because in many cases our affected arm and hand are still able to do things we just have to give them the opportunity to do it and we have to resist the urge to baby them as an ot told me once or consider them no longer able to do things all because of the stroke now when i was in the hospital i remember one of the doctors telling me you didn't break a bone your arm is still there and is just as intact as it was before your stroke you just have to help wake those muscles back up and re-educate your brain on how to make it work and constantly remind your arm that it is still a part of your body and that it still has a job to do Now that whole way of thinking really hit me one day a couple of months ago. I was at home about to go from one room to another, and as I was leaving the room, the thought crossed my mind to reach using my left arm, my affected side, to turn the light off. And then I immediately said to myself, oh wait, I can't use that arm because it doesn't work, so I have to use my right arm to do this. And so I reached with my right arm and turned the light off. But then I immediately thought, wait a minute, how do I know if I could do that with my left arm or not? I didn't even try. So I turned the light back on using my right arm and hand and then reached up with my left arm and hand and taking all of 10 extra seconds at the most to do it, I turned the light off. And then I started to think, I wonder how many times could my left arm and left hand have actually done what I wanted it to do if I had just tried. So that's when I decided to implement a new rule, kind of a game if you will, that I want you to try to do also. I call it three tries. Basically the rule is that you try to do something using your affected arm or hand and you give it three tries and if you are still unable to do whatever it is after three tries then you can use your non affected arm and hand but only after you've tried at least three times no matter how long it takes. Now of course if you're in a hurry then you gotta do what you gotta do but seriously whenever time allows. Really, make a concerted effort to use your affected arm and hand instead of just automatically using your non affected side just because it's easier or faster. I especially implement this rule if what I want to reach for is on the affected side of my body. Basically, whatever is on my left side is my left arm and hand's responsibility, and whatever is on my right side is my right arm and hand's responsibility. I make every effort to not reach across my body to do something using my right hand if that something is on my left side. Now, if you try this little game, trust me, you will be surprised at just how much your hand and your arm can actually do if you just give it a chance to show you. Now, if you have a really cool health tip that you'd like to share with others, tell us about it. Just go to our website, www.thestrokechannel.tv. That's thestrokechannel.tv. I'm Christopher Ewing, and this has been a Life After Stroke Health Tip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Today, our guest is Kathy Mm -hmm. Cole. She is the author of Kick-Ass Kind of Girl. (laughs) Remind me to ask about the title of that book, Um, (laughs) because that's my question, but we've got some uh, questions here. Hi, Kathy. My question is, um, what's the best way to strike a balance between I care for my mom, and uh, we do a lot of functional things, and just uh, to not... uh, Burn out Because <laughs> yeah. I feel Already burned out Myself right. But I want to be able To strike A healthier balance And thank you so much For sharing Oh, oh my
1: welcome. gosh Oh my gosh mm-hmm. Thank you so much You are so welcome yeah. And I'm glad you asked me That question it's Because a good, it's question. Very important mm-hmm. It is hard To strike that balance Do you two live In the same place? Okay Well first of all Your mom has to understand how important it is for you to get a break. That's where it starts. And she needs to understand that you need a little time. And like I said, if she says, thank you, and I love you, how important it is. But then you really have to work at it and back to where you put on the calendar. So it's a habit. And it says, mom, today for four hours, I'm going to be I don't know, if you can leave the house, one hour, 30 minutes, whatever you can do. Or if you have a friend that can come in and stay with your mom. You look like so, four hours would yeah, be... Yeah, that doesn't work. Okay. Four hours wouldn't work? But you know what? For most people, it doesn't. Because of my foundation, I've learned that. So let's now, just Now, why say would
0: four hours not work? It would not work... Just would four hours not work because she can't be without you for four hours? Or you would feel guilty leaving her for four hours? Both of the above. <laughs> Both, okay. uh, both 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 okay. yeah you think Miss Helen would get into that much trouble in four hours yes <laughs> yes Miss <laughs> Helen yes. you can't behave yourself for four hours <laughs>
3: she she behaves herself
0: but you're worried it's about very her. different but now uh-huh. I, I guess you know you think about how much of it really is Miss Helen because I don't think Miss Helen could get in that much trouble in four hours as much as it is you just not being able to relax for four hours. Climbing up on the counter. Miss Helen, now you know better than to be up on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't behave for four hours so she can go and... Yeah, we're going to bring that up in the next meeting. Do you I know have, you got to go, but we're going to bring relatives? that up in the next meeting.
1: Okay, so your relatives don't live close... Well, since you don't have a whole lot of time, what I would suggest is you're in your mom's eyesight, so she has her confidence that you're there, but you make sure that she knows, okay, Mom, I'm not going to really look at you for the next hour. My back, you know, I see you out of the corner of my eye, so you know I'm here, but I'm just going to sit here and watch a TV show, or I'm going to read, or uh, one thing that was great for me, I took up needlepoint again. And I made tons of needlepoint Christmas stockings. And it's something that you can get busy with, that you enjoy while you're sitting uh, in the house with your mom. Yeah. Mm.
0: And we had another question here. Bob, you had a question?
2: Yes. I can't drive. Okay. And I can't talk. I mean, I can't talk, but it's really slow. So I have... To use the cell phone to text people, not call them.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, you're very modern, because no one calls anymore. Yeah, right. Everyone texts anyway. anyway, That's the truth.
0: (laughs) That's very modern. So true, so true. I
1: mean,
2: I I have a lot of good friends all over the place Mm -hmm. that I text you. Mm-hmm. I, um, me a good friend in Norway or a good friend in Italy
3: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. so, so um, I think but, it's wonderful that we have this ability to text so that's helpful right there but I can see your frustration that I
2: don't have enough time to text I mean uh, uh, um, right uh, you I have To be short on the text. Right. I mean, uh, um, say uh, a paragraph. Right. Not not five pages.
0: Right. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, and
0: and that's because you don't want to text that much, or you don't want to have to send such long text messages, Mm -hmm. or you're afraid to text someone too much. But you want to talk to people.
2: Right, and I I ended up writing to people, not talking to them. So let
0: me ask you this: Is the fact that you don't talk is that because you feel self-conscious about the fact that you talk slower than? Oh yeah,
2: I feel mostly about the cell phone. Yeah, but you know
0: what? I'm going to say this, Doctor Parker, because I've known you for several months now, and. I'm going to say that's a little bit more you than the people that love you and care about you. Because I talk to you, you know, you've been on the show several times, you know. I mean, I could sit and wait all day for you to get to the point of a conversation. If that if it, that's what it's going to take. Number one, because I love you and I, I'm crazy about you. Mm-hmm. But number two, because what you're saying I know is going to be something that's so cool and so smart and so
3: relevant. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. No,
0: no, because no, because quite frankly, you know, first of all, it, you know, d- you know, Dr. Parker is um, uh, he used to be an educator at Rutgers. He got his PhD at Northwestern. I mean, he's brilliant, mm-hmm. and he's written several books. And when he when you talk to him, he's just Awesome to talk to I mean he's funny He's gregarious He's very intelligent Obviously And so You know if it takes you Two seconds or two minutes To get it out Mm -hmm. You know it's going to be Some kind of cool thing It just might take you A little longer And and quite frankly You know this is where We're at here And one of the things That I'll say (laughs) this If I haven't said it to you And I don't know That I've ever said it On the show you know in dr parker's case yes sometimes it might take him a you know a little bit longer than others to to get to the end of a sentence or an end of a paragraph or a thought or something like that and i'm going to tell you that, dr parker i have never shortened your conversation i mean obviously you know i have there's no, some uh, editing that has to happen with you're those.
2: really about that. no
0: but i mean there is some editing that goes into some of our shows but i have not edited anybody's conversations um because for, for a few reasons number one because i think and i've heard it from uh, john our other friend who's oftentimes here um i i hear improvement on a lot of your parts mm. i mean when you look back at, you know in, in the, the earlier shows and things like that i mean i hear improvement in people's dialogue and i like to think that at some point, you know, these shows will show that kind of improvement, mm-hmm. um, because you'll be able. To, wow, you know, I'm talking faster. I'm getting to the point. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but, at the, but mm-hmm. also, no, no, no. but also on top of that, we have listeners around the world, and some of them may be in the same situation that many of us are. You know, some may be just like Kathy, who are caregiving for someone. Some people that might be like me who you know had a hemorrhagic stroke some people might be like you that had a strokes of you and dave over here or so forth and i think that not only do we need to be representative of who we are so that they can see hey look you know if you're in a similar situation show so what you can still be on the radio you can still be on tv you can still do whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then also to educate other people in that this is the world we're in now and mm-hmm. this world is filled with tall people, it's filled with short people, it's filled with black people, it's filled with white people, it's filled with people who have had strokes, it's filled with people who have Parkinson's, it's filled with people who have cancer and everything else, and this is, we are the world. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound so cliche, but this no. is just how it is, you know? And, yes, I, you know, and, and so I think it's very important that we represent ourselves as we are and And not be ashamed of it, you know, Hmm. certainly. And anybody who's on your call list on your phone, if they would have a problem with you calling them up and taking a little bit longer than anybody else they talked to before you to get to whatever point you're wanting to get to, they need to get out your phone. You don't need to be calling (laughs) them anyway. Uh, I'm just saying. uh, uh, Anybody that you're about to call, if they're going to be offended, like, oh, gosh, it's Bob and oh, man, then you know what? I don't need to be calling you anyway. Yeah. You are no one that I need to be talking to. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. So, you know, you take as long as you need to take. And I've told you that before. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you're trying to say something. Oh, yes. Like, take your time, man. I got tape. We'll be here all day if it takes. You know, I don't care. So do not wear that shame, okay? If there's somebody that you want to call, they should be proud that you want to call them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I agree Cause you. Because you could easily him. think of somebody really? else to yes. call.
0: Really? You know? You could, they, hey, you know, I'd love to think that somebody's calling me because they want to talk to me, not because it's like, you know, and again, if they're going to be offended by the fact that you're calling or be like, uh, oh, then you don't need to be calling me anyway, man. Shoot, call me, I'll talk to you. <laughs> no,
1: you're just, <laughs> you know, you're. More I'm just saying, about
0: it. I think, I think that's what it is, Doctor Perry. I think you're more self-conscious about it than I oh, think yeah. the person I'm, you're about to call is concerned more
2: about. More self-conscious about that now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I I just think you're more concerned about it than the
0: Mm -hmm. person you want to call, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
0: Chris? Mm -hmm. Um, We have a question from someone that you know, your daughter, Jennifer.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mom. Uh, My question that I thought that maybe your audience would appreciate hearing about Mm -hmm. is how did you. Keep Don feeling relevant And could you uh,
2: Share with them What you did With his social calendar So that he felt Connected with people Outside
1: of his home
0: Really good question
1: That is a great Mm -hmm. question Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what I did is I always made sure He had something To look forward to Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would Actually We even met new people When I would meet new people And i think You know Don would like them I'd say "Uh, You know My husband, I gave them the situation and I would said, would you be game to come to our house for dinner? Because I think you would be a friend of his.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, I would have people over and I'd say, Don, I got someone coming over. I think you're going to find him really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I would have little dinner parties or I would have people would, we do potluck Mm because it's so hard to do everything. Mm -hmm. But I made sure we constantly had people coming in the house. We went to people's homes.
3: Mm.
1: And, um, you know, it wasn't easy. And he might just come. Sure. He couldn't eat because he was on a feeding tube. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he would be there for the first course mm-hmm. at the table. And we'd all chat. And I always said to everyone ahead of time, just act like It's the way it always was. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to sit here at the table and talk.
0: And did you have a special vehicle, like a van? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Had a van
1: with a lift, and he only let me drive it.
0: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right. It was
1: quite a thing to drive.
0: And did you have help in addition to? I mean, did you have someone come into the home and help you?
1: Yes. well, I had to because yeah. uh, Don was so fragile. Mm-hmm. He really, every time he was in the hospital, he was in the ICU. Mm-hmm. And so our home was an ICU. ICU sure. uh, so he had to have 24 hour. ICU nurse mm-hmm. and respiratory therapist
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I so see. so did they stay in the home or you had someone there that just kind of worked in shifts type of thing or they something worked like in that?
1: shifts they never went to sleep mm-hmm. no one could go to sleep and we mm-hmm. were all in the room together mm-hmm. so for six and a half years people saw me sleeping wow. and listen to I, I I guess I talk in my sleep they heard all the stories <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> they never could figure out what I was sure, saying
0: sure. yes no that's and true and turned him and you know I got up and
1: turned him we did it together room, you know, yes yeah. all that stuff yeah. yes yes yeah. and so uh, no we all lived together it was uh, it was a It took a while to adapt to that. I don't know if I ever adapted to it. But then when Don passed away, I will say, all of a sudden, one day, it is completely quiet. I was going to say. It was not only devastating that he was gone, but I missed everyone. I got so used to living with these people.
0: I remember you also telling me yesterday when we spoke on the phone, um, because... Don, your brother had passed away just a few days before, Mm -hmm. I remember you telling me that you would sit on the side of your bed and be crying, but you weren't sure for whom you were crying. Right. So you would just kind of take turns, you know, like, okay, for the next half hour, I'm going to cry for brother Don. Right, because they're both Don's. Yeah, sure, exactly.
1: Yeah, I would just Mm. sit in my room, look out the window and cry uncontrollably. Mm. Yeah, I'd time it. I finally cuz I thought I'm cr- a crazy person. I don't even know what I'm crying about. I just cried. <laughs> sure, so then I yeah. timed it and said, "Okay, I'm going to think about brother Dawn for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and cry." And then mm-hmm. so but I will say writing my book was cathartic. Mm-hmm. And there were things I couldn't write for 2 years that were so sad and even to this day sometimes when I reread things it's, it's very yeah. difficult. Um but I can talk about these things now. In the beginning, I couldn't get through five minutes of talking Mm. about what I'm talking about now. So,
0: I want to go here and talk about the foundation. Okay. What an awesome foundation. Tell everyone a little bit about it.
1: Okay, so... Um, obviously, you can tell that we had means. My yeah. husband was a very successful man, and it's the only way we were able to do a lot of things that we did. Mm-hmm. Now, I do say to caregivers, because sometimes people might say, well, of course she could do that because uh, he could afford it. Yeah. Well, the pain is the same
0: absolutely the
1: all of that the piercing pain in your heart the fear the loneliness all of that is the same but yes i was lucky that we could do other things but i say to people so maybe we could go from newport beach to um our house in la Mm -hmm. but you could also go out in the front yard of your house Mm -hmm. and visit the neighbors or go to the park so it's still you know that helps but because of his success and because of me realizing that after he passed away I thought you know there's so many people out there that really can't do anything mm-hmm. just like the lovely lady that was just here can't leave her mother for the, when I said 4 sure. hours yeah, yeah. so uh, I started a foundation to help caregivers in need. Mm-hmm. Caregivers that make a family makes less than 28000 a year. And I do things, I like to surprise them. <laughs> um, and usually I get them through a hospital that they already know who mm-hmm. has, has these problems. Um, many times it's helping with a month's rent. Um, But I have some fun stories. Like one young man, I met him at a clinic, and his mother had had a stroke. He was like 28 years old, and he's her sole caregiver. So, uh, it was so cute because he came, he brought her with him, and she looked beautiful. She had on the prettiest pink dress. They were about an hour late, which was perfectly fine, because I understand that. And I thought, you know what? They're late for a multiple of reasons, Mm. but also because he was probably putting her favorite dress on her Mm. to meet me, which I just thought was so cute. So, anyway, we're talking, and I said, "Um, so how do you survive? How do you do what you do? He got this you know from the government or somehow uh, churches and all that he got money every month Mm -hmm. received um money but at the end of the month he was out so i said well what do you do at the end of the month and he said well i have a part-time job delivering furniture for a party rental company Mm. so i scooped my mom up out of her wheelchair and put her in the front of the truck and she goes with me and i just thought that was one of my favorites and then another lady who um She was in Wisconsin, took care of her husband. She really wanted to go to the museum and take a class of Mm. photographing birds. So the foundation paid for a professional caregiver to come in for the day. Mm. And she was able to go have her day at the museum. So I like to do little things like that, but Mm -hmm. most of the time um, it's helping with rent or utilities. Mm -hmm. It's not going to fix anyone's life. Sure. It's not going to, what it does do is. it
0: gives them a break. It it gives gives them a break. Absolutely.
1: And it gives them uh, a realization that other people know what they're going through and someone cares and they're, you know, kind of surprised that the stranger says, no, I know how you feel. I want to help you do this, but. Sure. And I, and I used to watch when I was a kid. See, you're too young. But there was a show on TV called The Millionaire. And oh, I remember. Do you remember that?
0: Oh no, no, I don't. I thought Secret. No, I remember Secret Millionaire, but no, I don't remember The Millionaire. Okay, no. so it was
1: back when the TVs were black and white, and oh, I used to yeah. watch it. And he, this guy would just show up at the front, you know, at the front mm-hmm, door, ring mm-hmm. the doorbell, and hand the people a million dollars. So I just thought it, this would be really fun to surprise people. Mm. It's not a million dollars, but. Maybe it's more than that because they know someone cares.
3: Sure,
0: sure. Um, For everybody listening, tell them the name of the foundation, how they can get in touch with the foundation and things like that.
1: It's the Kathy Cole Foundation, and uh, they can just put my name on -hmm. on Google, Mm -hmm. Google. spell it K-A-T-H-I K-O-L-L right mm-hmm. and it'll come up and it'll show the foundation mm-hmm. and they can go on the website and it'll show uh, all sorts of things mm-hmm. about what I do and um, you know raising money if anyone wants to donate because I can only give what I sure, donate exactly uh, or what I raise what I mm-hmm. raise the more I raise the more people I can help sure. and uh, it's a small group mm-hmm. but um, it's it it's, has legs it's, it's, it's awesome little by little
0: We've got links on the strobechannel.tv website that okay. people can click on, and we'll be able to take them right directly to your site. Um, you know, Kathy,
1: final thoughts? Okay. Well, I think one of the most important tips that helped me was to always remember life is just a blink in time, and mm-hmm. it helped me when I was going through it with Dawn because um, the days would be long, the six and a half years were long. But during the day, sometimes I think, you know, Kathy, I talk to myself, one day I'm going to be looking back at this, and it was just a blink in time. Mm -hmm. It goes by so fast. No one will believe me that's in that situation now, but it will. So just remember. Just remember that.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Good point. Really good point.
1: And, And I have one other point. The other thing is when you get really sad, this is sort of a little exercise I have, you sit there and you think, oh, this is just the worst. I'm never going to be happy again. And then I'd sit and think, you know, I felt like this about two or three weeks ago, but I can't remember why I was so sad. <laughs> so then I think, well, then I guess today will just be the same thing. And two or three weeks from now, I'll never remember why I was so sad. There you go. And that helps.
0: Again, the name of the book is Kick-Ass Kind of Girl. Where did the title come from? I meant to ask you that.
1: Okay, it's, it's kind of funny. Because yeah, we need f- funny
0: writing about that. Okay.
1: <laughs> for four years, okay. I'm writing this book, mm-hmm. and there are some funny things in it about my life and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. and uh, So anyway, I'm uh, working with the editor and her daughter. It's Jerusha and Joni Rogers. So mm-hmm. they're helping me with it, and they live in Washington State. And they said, you know, after four years, Kathy, you still don't have a title. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to have a title. The book's finished. So the three of us start writing all these names down and it's like um, the hummingbird sings or Mm. that's one more spin in the wheelchair or you know all these Mm -hmm, kind of names mm -hmm. so finally I said you know none of these names are working I mean I'm just more of a kick-ass kind of girl and Joni looked at me and said that's, that's it, it. Yeah. and I go what's it what's it <laughs> kick ass kind of girl a memoir of life love and caregiving I go kick ass kind of girl number one my children will be so upset <laughs> their children are not allowed to use that word and on top of it I think I will be the neighbors everyone will say you're out of the neighborhood you can't <laughs> say those kind of words and we were googling it and saying well no kick ass now means a strong person or strong woman or it's not like it used to be so anyway sort of kicked the word around Mm. and the name around for at least a month. And uh, someone, a number of people said to me, well, I couldn't really have the book out on the table because my <laughs> grandchildren, yeah. we don't want them going around saying, kick ass. Yeah. But anyway, now I think we've all gotten used to it. And it's kind of fun and people love it.
0: And you know what? It really can't be more appropriate.
1: <laughs> That's what I keep hearing. You really are
0: a kick ass kind of girl.
1: Thank you. You really are. Thank you.
0: And I am just so proud to know you and so proud to meet you. Oh. And I just really have to say and I, I don't know how I'm. I don't know how else to say it, but to say this. Thank you for the love and the care that you showed Don. Thank you. As a stroke survivor, you know, you have no idea. Thank you. And to know that he had that kind of woman in his life who was there... The fun continued, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It might not have been trips to the White House and trips to San Tropez, but doggone, it's, you know, and I hate the image of you standing up with the bubbles and the little thing, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it's that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's that. Yeah. It's all those little things, Kathy. You just brought so much. You, you. you not only did you bring so much love into his life pre-stroke, you kept the love, girl. You kept it. You kept Thank it. Thank you. And Thank you.
1: Well, I hope he always realized it I think he did sure he did there's you know know, uh, he always said I I love you
0: then you know what he did
1: yeah I think so well, thank you.
0: I'm just so I'm so proud to have you on the show. I re- really am proud to have you on the show. Thank Everybody you. listening, we've been visiting with Kathy Cole. She's the author of Kickass Kind of Girl, a memoir of life, love, and caregiving. She's also the president and founder of the Kathy Cole Foundation. There's links on the Stroke Channel TV website where you can find out more information about the book and the um, the foundation. Um, definitely get the book. It's uh, it's at Amazon, Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble. You can order it online again. We'll have links on the website for you to be able to access it. And And Kindle. And Kindle. Kindle, That's right. Mm -hmm. You you can get the Kindle. Um, But I really encourage you guys to even see if you can get the copy that she can even personally autograph. You know, um, Mm -hmm. she's going to be able to send you guys autographed copies of the book if you uh, go to either... Uh, the stroke channel TV or the Kathy Cole website um, you'll be able to see a link there somewhere that will um, show you how to order a book mm-hmm. and you can have it personally autographed to whomever so if you are a stroke survivor and you are online hanging out and stuff like that listen to this show this might be a great gift that you can give to a caregiver um, who uh, is part of your life so I just definitely encourage you guys to do that and so again it's kick-ass kind of girl a memoir of life love and caregiving by kathy Cole. kathy thank you so much for being on the show
1: thank you so much and happy valentine's day
0: right back at you and
1: back to everyone that's listening my heart is with all of you
0: there you go we're taping Mm -hmm. this on valentine's day and so uh um that's it for the show just know i love you guys and uh we're here for you guys and um as i always say until next week remember there is still a beautiful life after stroke This has been a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Life After Stroke is a production of the Hang On to the Dream Foundation, the 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps kids and adults reach their goals in life. If these Life After Stroke programs are helpful to you, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Hang On to the Dream Foundation to assist the organization in its numerous outreach activities. For more information, just go to www.hangontothedream.org. And remember, no matter how hard things seem, hang on to the dream.